Wherever cancer is, Hancock Health will fight. In any part of you and in all corners of East Central Indiana. From Indianapolis to Greenfield to Knightstown to Rushville. From hospital rooms to family rooms, we fight. With technology and medicine. With care backed by the wisdom of Mayo Clinic. For you, for your family, and for your future in Rush County. We fight cancer here. HancockHealth.org slash cancer. Hammer and Nigel. Can you believe these characters are weirdos? So let's rock! If given the opportunity, I do look forward to continuing to work. I believe in this city. I believe in its potential. Uh, that was Boss Hogsett, Diamond Joe Hogsett, the mayor, and his Republican gun-grabbing opponent, Jefferson Shreve, last night at a town hall. I am so glad I don't live in Marion County just because I don't want to have to make the decision you're making, Hammer. You know what I'm saying? Right. I mean, you, you've you made it well known that because of Sharif's gun-grabbing policy uh, that you're not going to be voting for him at all. You're going to be writing in Abdul. I'm glad I don't have to make that decision because that would be a tough one for me, I think. Oh, it's real tough for me because I hate Joe Hogsett. And I think Joe Hogsett is a clown and he's been disastrous for the city of Indianapolis. But why should I reward somebody who thinks I'm the problem? I'm a law-abiding gun owner, and Jefferson Shreve walks up on the stage, gives me a middle finger last night, and says, because of you, Indy's in the condition it is. Now, I'm paraphrasing, of course, but that's the feeling that myself and others like me have right now, Nige. I understand it. My dad, you know, lives here and has, you know, part of the Shreve thing and the Hogsett thing is, well, we're going to ban assault weapons. Well, does that mean my dad's going to have to open up his big old gun safe and hand those things over to officials here in Marion County if something like that were to ever change, which it won't because you can't make changes at the county level. It's got to be the state legislature. Uh, it's 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 a tough choice, and I'm not sure we. We're, what did we learn last night at this town hall there at the uh, at the landmark center? Well, I mean, these guys basically didn't tell you anything new, but the crowd reaction was interesting to me, and we'll get into that here in just a second. All but right. if you missed any of the quote unquote action <laughs> at the Indiana Landmark Center last night, the subject of public safety came up. Now. This town hall, this forum, wasn't specifically about public safety. You know, they talked about infrastructure and they talked about other things. But the elephant in the room is the crime in the city of Indianapolis. Here's Jefferson Shreve on whether or not downtown is safe. I talk to people moving around this county time and again that say, I just don't go downtown anymore. We do hear that. Real or perceived, we've got a public safety challenge. Okay, I agree with that. Sure. I agree with everything Jefferson Sharif just said right there. You can love Joe Hogsett all you want, but you have to be honest. There is a crime problem in Indianapolis, specifically downtown. Okay, so here is the response from the incumbent, Boss Hogg said. There have been people who have said to me that they're afraid to come downtown. They don't live downtown. They live in the, in the, in the surrounding county. What's that mean? What the hell does that have to do with anything? <laughs> don't you want people coming downtown from surrounding counties? Right. Spending money here in the county? 
So that's the first time I believe you've heard that soundbite and you came to that conclusion <laughs> right away because that's the first thing that I thought. Now, I'm downtown pretty much every day. Well, yeah, I'm too. We work here. I live in Indianapolis. But that soundbite doesn't make any sense. So Joe Hawksett doesn't care about bringing people into downtown from the surrounding counties. And number two, listen to those seals clap and applaud that. Like that got a standing ovation. This loser is going to win again. Joe Hawksett is going to win again because those seals in the room love nonsense. That was a nonsense answer, and they stood up, <laughs> clapped like seals. Could we clip that and get some slow? <laughs> I want some slow motion. Make that into a gif off the uh, YouTube channel. And listen, I know what's <laughs> going to happen. Joe Hogsett's going to end up winning this election, and there are butt hurt Republicans. They're going to send messages to myself, you know. Guy Relford and Rob Kendall. Now, they don't live in Marion County, but they talk about this mayor's race, and they're going to blame us for it. No, 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 no. Indianapolis has a problem with not only the leadership, but the people who vote for this crap. The radio guy is not the problem. Maybe if Jefferson Shreve ran a better campaign, he would get some standing ovations as well. Now, later in that event last night, Hogsett said his administration has heavily invested in anti-violence initiatives through the $150 million that was funded by the American Rescue Plan, those dollars that were given to Indianapolis. How's that working out for anybody? The violence prevention initiatives. Seems like it's not working at all, and it's not doing a damn thing, and it feels like that was a waste of $150 million. And... Nige, I know you're going to love this. Okay. He pulled the same crap last night. Joe Hogsett talked about how there was a big decline from the record-breaking number of homicides in 2021 to 2022. A 16% reduction in 2022 in the number of criminal homicides in the city of Indianapolis. This is the same crap that Joe Biden pulls. Well, gas prices are down compared to last year. You were in charge last year. <laughs> it was a record last year. Joe Hogsett was the mayor in 2021. He was the mayor in 2022. And by the way, 2022 wasn't a record-breaking year, but it was a top five in yeah. the long-storied history in the city of Indianapolis. And again, those seals in the audience <laughs> think this is some sort of accomplishment, Nige. Are people this stupid? I can't look at you when you do that. But yes, they are. In answer to your question, yes, they are. Those people's vote counts the same as mine. Why can't you understand that the same guy has been in charge of the city for the most violent stretches in history. When Indianapolis, at multiple points the last couple of years, has had a homicide rate higher than Chicago's, once you factor in the population, these people think that's fantastic. So, again... The writing's on the wall right here. I know Abdul is doing some polling about the mayor's race. I'm curious to see the numbers. But just based on what I heard and what I watched last night, people think Joe Hawksett is doing some sort of amazing job in the city of Indianapolis. 
Meanwhile, the Republican candidate, old gun-grabbing Jefferson Shreve, he said that the IMPD does not reflect the racial diversity of the city of Indianapolis. I will be colorblind with respect to talent, where we can clearly, by the numbers, in large swaths of our city, citizen-facing, do a better job than we are doing is in the representation of, for example, the IMPD, which doesn't reflect the complexion of our city. I don't understand. He kind of contradicted himself there at the beginning. Did it sound like... Yeah, he said said, he was going to be colorblind when it comes to his administration. Because Joe, you know, he's up there saying, I've got the most diverse staff in the city of Indianapolis. I've got blacks, I've got gays, I've got gay blacks, I've got everything. And... Jefferson Shreve goes up there, hey, I'm colorblind to this kind of stuff, but oh, by the way, awful lot of whiteies around this IMPD. Why can't we just get the best people? Can't we get the best, the best recruits? What, does it have to be black, white, you know, American Indian, Asian Americans, right. uh, Hispanic? Uh, just stop it with that. And if you're the IMPD at this point, beggars can't be uh, choosers. Exactly. We're having a shortage problem. We're having a very, like... Uh, uh, <laughs> Hundreds short of the recruiting goals. Right. I don't care who it is. If you want to come work for the IMPD, let's go. Oh, by the way, the current mayor hates you. The prosecutor hates you. They're both going to make your life living hell. And if you make one mistake, get ready, Bal, because the justice system in Indianapolis is going to come crashing down on you. And by the way, we'd prefer you be a minority. (laughs) Now hiring. (laughs) Now, speaking of the IMPD and the justice system, you may have heard the news at the top of the hour. A Marion County grand jury has indicted two IMPD officers for their alleged roles in that New Year's Eve shooting of a man. They've been indicted on two counts of aggravated battery, battery with a deadly weapon, battery resulting in serious bodily injury, criminal recklessness, uh, battery resulting in moderate bodily bodily injury. We got it. We got it. These guys, I, I, I mean, Hammer, this was the guy that fell asleep in his grandma's driveway in his car. Right. She didn't know who it was or who he was or who it was. She called 911, and the guy had a gun on his lap, and they couldn't wake him up. And when, right. he, when he woke up, the gun was in his hand, and they opened fire. Yeah. I mean, come on. I, I don't know what – there's so many questions I have about this case. Like, I'm pro-law enforcement. I mean, I think if, if you're Marion County – I mean, if you're an IMPD officer uh, – it's a tough, tough gig right now. Right. And I don't know if you have the people to back you up. And even I, I, if, best case scenario, Joe Hogsett is voted out, he's not the mayor anymore, the other guy is already saying, yeah, awful lot of whiteies around here. I don't care what kind of job you're doing, but there needs to be more color around here. But I'm colorblind. This was a mess last night for Jefferson Shreve. I'm sorry. He looked like a deer in headlights. Jefferson Shreve at this event, and I watched the full thing. I watched it all. <laughs> I watched this crap so you guys don't have to. It reminded me of that scene in Wayne's World where Wayne walks off the show and it leaves Garth to host it by himself. <laughs> and he just looks at the camera and says, I'm having a good time. <laughs> That's what Shreve was like in front of this crowd last night. 
listening to the Hammer and Nigel Show. Matt Bear, traffic beast in studio with us. What's up, Multiple vapes and a cell phone. And it, what, did they call? Did they have to call you in uh, when the uh, MLK Street takeover was happening with the horses? I was did in you, such you? awe that there were horses <laughs> north of downtown <laughs> Indianapolis, and there weren't police attached to them or a carriage. I, I've never seen this before, and I'm still trying to. You guys are talking about the blockages, right? When they shut down. And yeah. Say, okay. The street parties that got out of control. Next thing you know, you've got horses in the hood. It's <laughs> a movie from the 90s, I think. <laughs> I think the Wayans brothers may have been in that. Um, I, it was such a bizarre thing to me as I look at this, and I'm trying to fathom, where do you get these horses to ride down MLK? I, right. I, I mean, I, I, and I, I've looked it up. I've looked everywhere. And then, like, the nearest horse farm is on Southport Road, and I don't even know how they put one there, you know, on Southport Road. So where did the horses come from? Look, if you told me there was a street takeover in Wanamaker or somewhere deep in Johnson County or something, you know, okay, fine. That's a country type area. I don't want to dive into the stereotype here, but MLK and 27th doesn't feel like an area you see a lot of country activities taking place. And that's, I mean, I was thinking about when I when I came up in Rochester, Indiana, you know, and I think of the state fair, something like that might I actually be like, hey, cool. There's a, but here in a metro area, I, I think that's really dangerous, not just for the people, but for the horse, too. The horses, you know, I yeah. mean, it's bad for the horses. One of my favorite expressions is blank you and the horse you rode in on. <laughs> and people could actually say that now in parts of Indianapolis. <laughs> it's such a bizarre thing. And, and I mean, I wonder if these if this is going to be a recurrent event because it, I mean it seems like such a, a dangerous thing because then you have to put more mounted cops on the streets you have to have more police patrolling that area to begin with and I thought that was an area that was getting a little bit better so I don't know it, it was crazy got a big weekend here Matt we got some nice weather it's officially fall but it's still nice outside it's a Colts game that's home this weekend high school football tonight what are we looking at for traffic restrictions. Well, we have more Lawrence problems coming in, and I want people to know, especially, uh, this gets bad about 9 o'clock tonight, and it goes on until October 16th, and basically if you're coming in for the Colts game on Sunday, uh, the southbound side of 465 is going to be torn to hell, and this is from... 71st Street down to Pendleton Pike. And that could cause some real problems. It could cause a delay as you try to go to the game, get on 70. You know how to do it. Get out of Michigan Street, wherever you're going. Right. Um, going through Lawrence is going to be trouble, and I, I'd like to see everybody playing accordingly for that. There's a question on the YouTube chat for you, Matt. Do you think the Lawrence 465 lane restrictions will be worse than the northbound mess from a few weeks ago? I don't think it'll be as bad necessarily for the people on the interstate. I think it could be worse for people on the side streets and for people on Benford. Uh, Benford into 69 because that could back up onto I-69. If that starts happening, we do have an issue. Northbound side, it's it's traveled a lot more. I mean, there's more people, more volume on the northbound side than the southbound side. That doesn't mean anything, guys. <laughs> At the end of the day, this thing does what it wants. It, it is a vicious mother of an interstate and um, it, there are going to be serious delays over there. 
So you're hosting a night with WIBC. Yeah. So you're the one that gets up there and opens things up. BNC. Yeah. This is um, this is so crazy. Um, you, you asked me, it was crazy, because we talked about it the other day. And um, when you asked me about it, I, I just did like a thing. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. And I started thinking about it. And my answer is to be able to do something like this. I, I can't believe I can do something like this and go hang out. But with, you totally can. And yeah. the crowd loves you. And, and, and yeah, and just to be able to do that. And, and this is not BS, guys. This is not shtick. Just to be able to go out there and and, and hang out with the listeners and and just be, say thank you. I, 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 it is a big deal to me. So I, I got I four words for you. Yeah. Don't f it up. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Nigel sounds like Derek right. Jeter talking to W before that first pitch at yeah. Yankee Stadium. Uh, if you throw it in the dirt, they're gonna boo you. All, all I know is I'm taking a laxative before you we'll see what happens. Um, Did Lauren Bobert respond to uh, your request to uh, be your date for that evening? No, your fellow vape queen. Because <laughs> even if it's just one date, we saw what she does on one date, man. I, I, I listen. I, if Lauren Bobert wants to come down and hang out, she hasn't responded to the request yet. But we'll She's we actually could, blocked a, you on social media. <laughs> she just slid into my DMs. That was it. Uh, yeah, we could have a vaping good time, and we'll make her part of the act. Come on in. It would be great. Have you thought about what you're going to say in your opening monologue yeah. or speech? Or? I, I really have. Um, it, it's it, it's I, I kind of want to surprise everybody. Well, good, um, good. That, that sort of thing. But, but again, uh, feel good about this, Matt, because yeah. think about... You know, all these broadcast outlets in the city of Indianapolis, they all have a traffic personality, but eh, you're the best in the business. Like, if these other stations tried to do an event like we do, this night with WIBC, I guarantee you their traffic person would not be the host. Well, and that's that's the thing about it. And Terry Stacey, uh, the the legend, the WIBC. The first lady. The first lady is is way to say it, and she's not going to be able to make it, so they asked me to do that for... um, and that's kind of intimidating for me. I mean, I have a picture of Terry Stacy on my refrigerator. At home. Big that's shoes to fill. I was waiting to yeah, see where so. that was going to go. I've got a picture of Terry Stacy above my bed. I have a picture in my of Terry bathroom. Stacey. Pause. Hey, I got a on my uh, refrigerator. A quick update before we get out of here on a break about the horses on MLK. Just got this. Uh, what's our email address? Hammer Nigel at wibc.com. Yeah. Uh, this is from Kevin. I'm pretty sure those horses at the MLK takeover were from a farm around 30 to 38th at German Church Road, far east side. I think I recognized the guy that was riding. He must have trailered them down there. Oh, okay. So they just took the purple line in. <laughs> it's not a party until somebody trailers in a horse. <laughs> down 38th Street. <laughs> like, if you're having a birthday party, Matt, and you invite us, yep. and we show up with a couple big-ass horses, it's on like Donkey Kong, baby. I'm not letting you in unless you have the horses. I mean, that's that's amazing. Where can we stalk you at? Uh, Matt in traffic. Do your stalking. And uh, thanks for having me on, fellas. And Allison, love you all. Thanks. You're the best. It's the Hammer and Nigel Show. You're listening to the Hammer and Nigel Show. Yeah, hello, my name is Nigel. Jason Hammer right over there with a special guest on the hotline. Tommy Piggott is the Rapid Response Director for the RNC. You can see some of his work on the popular Twitter handle, at RNC Research. So, Tommy, we're keeping our eye on the news here. Saturday midnight government shutdown. There's a lot of people that are saying, don't threaten me with a good time. So walk us through what's happening here. For somebody that hasn't been paying attention to this, what are the Democrats wanting? What are the Republicans saying? Take us through what's happening. Well, fundamentally, what this comes down to is Democrats would rather shut down the government instead of 
securing the border. That is ultimately what this is coming down to. Democrats have refused to compromise on a single thing when it comes to reining in inflationary spending, that the inflation they fueled by, by wasting taxpayer money back when Joe Biden first took office. And they're also refusing to take concrete steps to secure the border, even as border towns are completely overwhelmed, even as deadly drugs are pouring into our country, even as cartels keep on getting operational control of, of the border. They're refusing to do anything to secure the border. So w- w- Joe Biden is basically right now hiding in the basement of the White House, refusing to meet with congressional leaders, while Democrats vote again and again and again against measures to keep the government open. They just voted against another one a few minutes ago to keep the government open and secure the border. And I think it shows that Democrats would rather appease the far left rather than have a functioning government that actually has a border that's secure. So the way that it's being spun by the political left is that the Republicans, they don't want your border patrol officers to get paid. They don't want the military to get paid. But the Republicans, they're looking at this bill that was presented to them. And while the bill may say one thing, the insane amount of pork and BS that's on the back half of this that basically allows the Ukrainian border to be protected, but not the United States border. That's a lot of crap. So that's kind of where we're at here, right? Well, two things specifically, I think, call out how Democrats really are detached from reality on this. You mentioned paying our military. Then Republicans have put forward bills repeatedly now in the last week to make sure our military would be paid if there was a shutdown. And guess who objected to those bills? The Senate Democrats. The Senate Democrats went on the House, went on the Senate floor and repeatedly objected to Senate Republicans putting forward a bill to make sure our troops are paid. Democrats would rather hold the pay of our troops hostage than make sure they get paid while they're on duty. That is the first point showing that that Democrats talking points here are debunked. And then the second point, when it comes to the border that you raised, Democrats don't want resources to secure the border or hire more border patrol. They want more resources to release illegal immigrants into the United States. That's what Biden's policy has been the entire time he has been president. It's been to those that present themselves as border patrol to process them, which is even a loose word for it, because in reality, they're just typing a name into a system. There's not really a vetting process that's going on. They want to release more illegal immigrants into the country. That's not the solution to this problem. That's actually going to make the problem a lot worse. So Democrats aren't interested in the solutions. They're interested in these political points. And I think especially when it comes to military pay and Democrats blocking that, it shows once again that they're more interested in in the politics and far left of this as opposed to actually a government that works for the American people. Now, Tommy, let me hit you with this here real quick, because our senator uh, from Indiana, Mike Braun, put together some bipartisan legislation that would stop government shutdowns. He put he put uh, like it's called the no budget, no pay act, which basically simply said that if, you know, Congress doesn't pass a spending bill on time, then we don't get, you know, we don't get a paycheck either. Uh, There's been several solutions, um, bipartisan solutions that have been put forth that haven't seen the light of day on the Senate floor. And I'm just wondering if if I, I feel like sometimes even on both sides of the aisle, there's they like these shutdowns because it's a way for them to jam through big spending bills. It's kind of like all I'm saying. Well, ultimately, Democrats do like to use shutdowns as political tools. They like yep. to use shutdowns and these big bills to try to get in as much wasteful spending as they can. Again, ultimately, this comes down to the fact that one side, the Republican side, is recognizing the reality of the border crisis, recognizing the reality that when you spend wastefully, you fuel inflation. Republicans are recognizing reality. And Democrats instead saying, nope, there's no border crisis. Nope, inflation is just fine. That's the Democrat position right here. So Democrats are the ones that are playing brinksmanship with us. Democrats are the ones that are refusing to actually have concrete solutions 
to this issue. And, and Republicans are the ones that are pursuing regular order, are pursuing bills to try to secure the border. It's, it's the Democrats here that are refusing to actually be bipartisan, cooperative. And again, make sure the government works. And I think this is also a final point on that. this point here is that uh, Democrats like to insist if the government's open, therefore the government's working. I mean, I think, honestly, the government's <laughs> not working under Joe Biden. I mean, it's just not. I mean, it's not working That's at all. We need to change point. it. So, I mean, the, the idea that Democrats, Democrats don't want a government that works, Republicans do, and that's ultimately the, the difference here. Chatting with Tommy Piggott, Rapid Response Director for the RNC. Tommy, earlier this week, there was a very passionate speech in a hearing from the senator of Alabama, Katie Britt, and she kind of went scorched earth on the way the media is covering the situation at the border because we see a lot of stories about the people coming across the sheer numbers and the drugs but a lot of the other stories are being left out and i thought she did a really good job of telling about the things that she has seen firsthand with her own eyes the sex assaults the things that are taking place down there the criminal acts how do you think the media has done in terms of covering what's happening at the southern border? Well, I think some of the media, such as Fox News, have done a great job of covering it. But most of the media gets an ask, quite frankly, on covering what's going on there, because it really is a, a humanitarian catastrophe that we wouldn't expect to happen in the most dangerous countries in the world. And yet it's happening at our southern border every single day to hundreds of thousands of people. I mean, that is the scale of this humanitarian crisis. And then again, that's, this shows why when Biden says that his policies are humane, safe, and effective, that's the three terms he likes to use, how disconnected from reality that is. In reality, this is the least humane thing that could possibly be happening. This is cruel. This is putting vulnerable people into the worst types of situations while empowering some of the most evil people on the, on the planet in terms of empowering the cartels, which want to poison Americans, want to make money off of human suffering. And again, this connects back to the shutdown. Democrats are denying the scale of this humanitarian crisis. They're denying this humanitarian crisis even exists. That is how disconnected from reality they are. And I believe that Senator Britt did an amazing job. It was really a powerful testimony she gave to the people that she met, the, the crimes that she saw people explain to her, uh, and really the, the humanitarian and national security crisis that is unfolding on our southern border. I'll give you a perfect example of what you're talking about, Tommy. Did you, and you've probably seen this, Jake Tapper, CNN, interviewing squad member Ayanna Presley, and he directly asks her multiple times, is the border secure? Every time she answers, she says, yes, the border is secure. And he seems just every time he asked and she says, yes, it's secure. He seems so visibly shocked by that answer. De and you're, the, the point you're on point with the Democrats uh, not understanding. And, and on top of that, where is AOC in her white pantsuit down at the border <laughs> feigning outrage at Trump's kids in cages? I, I've not seen uh, AOC talk about the uh, migrant crisis unless it's in her own uh, backyard. It, yeah, where is AOC? Where is Ayanna Presley? Where's Kamala Harris, who went down to the border multiple times when she was running for president? Where's Joe yep. Biden? Where are all these Senate Democrats? They're not going to the border because they can't defend it. 
they can't see what's happening down at the border right now and defend it. They realize it is it is a catastrophe of historical proportions. They cannot defend the policies. So instead, they're ignoring it. They're, they don't want to talk about it. They don't want to go see it. And again, it shows that they're playing politics with all these issues. I mean, the, it's not just Yana Presley saying that the border is secure. The administration, yes. the Biden administration, is saying the border is secure again and again and again. And I don't know how many people need to escape into this country for them to realize that the border is not secure. 1.5 million gotaways escaping into this country since Biden took office. For them to go out there and say that's a secure border, it, it's beyond shocking. It's just, what are you talking about? What 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 level of of operational control do you need to lose for you to realize that we can't keep empowering the cartels? That's the question for the Biden administration. And they're showing that there's almost no depths they won't sink to in order to appease the far left on this issue. Tommy, I want to go back to the media for just one second. And I'm always fascinated with this, right? Because I'm never going to be a politician. I don't know what happens in these closed door meetings. But the way the news is presented to the country, I think, is a fascinating angle because I really do think that it's, you know, completely biased one side of the political aisle here for every Fox or Newsmax or whoever you want to say that leans conservative, there's a lot more folks that lean the other direction. So that's why I think it's interesting right now to see what's happening. You've got some of these left-leaning media outlets starting to criticize Joe Biden, Democrat policies, but yet they still don't want to talk about the border. They'll talk about crime, but they don't want to talk about the border. I'm going to play you a soundbite here, Tommy. This is from CNN, which is a very left-leaning organization. They're talking to their crime and law expert, John Miller. Where is this happening? And you're seeing this kind of, uh, you know, looting happening. I mean, uh, shoplifting and organized retail theft happen in uh, places like New York, Los Angeles, Philadelphia. Um, If you look at where Target closed nine stores yesterday, four stores in San Francisco, stores in Seattle, stores in Portland, stores in New York. Um, These are places where bail reform laws, criminal justice reforms have taken the inside of a jail cell out of the equation. Boy, they're never letting that guy back on CNN. I guarantee that. Right. So CNN, they've got the confidence to talk about crime in Democrat cities with Democrat leadership, but they still don't do a fair job of covering the border. I'm just curious as to what your perspective is on this, Tommy. Yeah, I think it is interesting to see a lot of the media try to cover more of this stuff. It's showing, I think, that they're trying to respond to the lack of credibility they have, the declining credibility, and the fact that Americans are getting their news elsewhere. So ultimately, Americans are seeing through the bias that they have. And so some of these news channels, very selectively, mind you, some of them are trying to respond to that, I believe, and try to maybe correct their coverage. You know, I'll, I'll wait to see if that continues. I do think part of the problem that CNN is having when they talk about crime and other issues is that a lot of this stuff really does connect to the border. There was an article out from the Washington Examiner that said a lot of these retail uh, crime sprees are connected to the drug cartels because people that need to pay for, for these drugs that are crossing the border are basically employed, in a sense, by the drug cartels to go out and shoplift. And that connects to the bail reform laws because they can basically steal up to $900, depending on the jurisdiction, without going to jail. So people go en masse, steal up to $900 worth of stuff, and then basically funnel that money back to the drug cartels. It's all connected, again, to this border, the border fueling so much crime in this country, fueling so much of this drug epidemic in this country. So CNN is telling an important part of the picture there, and that, and that analyst really was important in describing the impact of Democrats' pro-criminal agenda. But the problem they're having is it does connect back to the border again because the border is so porous and these cartels are so insidious and so evil. They won't stop 
at really anything to try to make a buck off of human suffering. And Michelle on our YouTube chat brings up an interesting point. Sometimes just changing the verbiage is a way for them to tell the story without telling the story like the word loot was changed to organized theft organized <laughs> theft doesn't sound as bad as looting Tommy. yeah it's, it's kind of amazing with the the, the left this happens on issue after issue but then people realize what the word means so i'm sure i'm sure organized theft eventually will be fall out of style you know because the left will realize wait when i say organized theft, people actually know what i'm talking about now and then they'll come up with a new word that they're supposed to say it's, it's the same thing with homelessness for example there's always a new pc term you're supposed to use a new woke term that you're supposed to use to describe homelessness when in reality people see the reality of it on the streets they see the fact that stores are shutting down all over the country because they can't stay open because of all the theft and all the looting uh it, it, you know so the, the left can try to play games with the, with the words and the verbiage, but Americans know the reality they're living in, and, and it's not working, and Paul after poll shows that Americans see right through it. Tommy Piggott, RNC Rapid Response Director. Tommy, we'll talk next week. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. It's the Hammer and Nigel Show. And we have a lewd, nude dude in the news. Here's another lewd, nude dude in the news. Dayline, Greenfield, Indiana. All right, Indiana. Greenfield police are seeking help to find the Walmart flasher. Oh, no. (laughs) Police have shared photos in their search for a man they've nicknamed the Walmart flasher. Man and his car were on a wanted poster shared via tip 411, which file name is Walmart flasher. So, so they, this is clearly the nickname that he's been given. Like the Wet Bandits in Home Alone, yeah. they, it was very important they got that nickname, and this guy really wants to be the Walmart flasher. Detectives in Greenfield say the man is believed to exposed his genitals Ooh, uh, at the Walmart there in Greenfield. He's got a distinctive white long mustache, a cut-off t-shirt, and his white hat or bandana. And also... His dong hanging out of his pants. I think that's the most descriptive uh, thing about this guy. You can talk about his beard. You can talk about his bandana. But if you see a dude walking around with his dong hanging out (laughs) in Greenfield, that's the guy. The Walmart flasher left the store in a maroon Dodge passenger car. This has been another lewd nude dude in the nickname <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's funny they put his picture up and like you know when you put the jpeg picture up on that that tip line that tip 411 you have to name the picture right and they put walmart flasher <laughs> you know <laughs> when people send me stories like this like sometimes i'm busy and i'll just glance at my phone and i'll see a couple key words right of the subject line i saw walmart and i saw flasher and i thought oh please don't oh. be beach grove please don't be beach <laughs> Please don't be Beechcroft. All right, it's Greenfield. It's about time Greenfield took you, some shots. How would you like to be the detectives in Greenfield on the uh, Walmart Flasher beat? Do you have to ask questions like, can you describe his genitalia? Was it flaccid? Was he happy to be there? You know, what aisle was it in? You know, we're trying to recreate, you know, the story here. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's what you send the first or second year detectives yeah, on, exactly. isn't it? Exactly. You don't the send rookie. the seasoned vets on that. Like the seasoned vets of the police department, they're doing security for high school football games. You know, they're doing security outside of St. Elmo's here in Indy. Sure. But the new guys, the young guys, you get all the poop calls and you get all the dong calls. Where was I love the nicknames they give these people. There was the there was like uh, the India something the creeper. Remember the creeper? There was a creeper. The, the Brownsburg creeper or something like that. And then there was the um, the Fisher's pooper. Yes. Do you remember the Fisher? Did they catch the Fisher's pooper? I think they did. Now those are great because they're local. But I think the GOAT, the greatest of all time, was that superintendent in New Jersey who would go for a run every morning and take a dump at the school. <laughs> they called him the pooper intendant. <laughs> you can't get any better than that. That's the gold standard. That's the Mount Rushmore of I'm nicknames. Out. The pooper intendant. Top stories. Hammer and Nigel. Do you believe these characters are weirdos? So let's rock Two huge stories from D.C. Government shutdown looming. Discussions ongoing. Deadline is tomorrow at midnight. I think we got a long one coming here. Senator Mike Braun is going to join us here in just about 30 minutes, and we're going to get the absolute latest. But to me, it comes down to this. Remember that scene in the movie Coming to America? You know, Eddie Murphy, Arsenio Hall. After Eddie Murphy... Akeem takes all of Arsenio Hall's money away. If you don't have any more money, you can't cause any more mischief. Well, if the government is closed, they can't cause any more mischief. Don't threaten me with a good time. Here's the thing. Mike Braun, there's been several pieces of legislation, that bipartisan legislation, that um, uh, uh, senators have come up with that said, like like the No Budget, No Pay Act. It was a thing with Joe Manchin, Rick Scott, and Mike Braun, and it was it was basically you know it was very simple: no budget, no pay. If Congress failed to pass spending bills on time, we don't get a paycheck until we they, until we do. Right, right. And there's been several different pieces of legislation like this that have been put forth. None of them have seen the light of day on the Senate floor. They don't want a resolution like that. And it's a messaging battle, right? Everybody comes out and says, well, the other side, I can't believe they don't want to fund this or fund that. But it's the oldest trick in the book, because what happens is they name the bill something like for an example here, just play along with me. The let's not murder puppies bill. (laughs) Well, of course, nobody wants to murder puppies. But what happens in that bill is in the back half of it, all the extra spending, all the extra pork, all the extra crap. That's the problem. And then the other side comes out and says, well, clearly they hate puppies. Why would you not pass this? Because of all the bull crap that you put in the back (laughs) half of it. That you don't even know what it is. That these senators don't even know what it is until they pass it. We've got to, what's the famous line? We've got to pass the bill to understand what's in it. (laughs) Right. So I think Pelosi said that, or somebody said Number that. A number of years ago, that was Pelosi, yeah. yeah. We have to pass it so we know what's in it. <laughs> All right. Uh, another big story from Washington is Diane Feinstein passed away. Uh, 90 years old, the longest-serving female U.S. senator in the history of the United States. So now the question becomes, who replaces it's her? It's so funny, because Gavin Newsom 
has got to put somebody in her place. He's got to do it in a hurry. And because he's backed himself into the whole gender, um, uh, racial racial politics, you know, uh, because everything is is identity politics, he he's committed to appointing a black woman. If he did get a second Senate appointment, unfortunately. There's a primary coming up for Feinstein's seat, right? Right. So there's a bunch of people that want that seat, including Adam Schiff and Representative Barbara Lee is the only black woman that's running for that Senate seat. There's a primary coming up. But because Feinstein died, Newsom has to appoint somebody, and he said he's not going to put Barbara Lee in there. Um, because he doesn't want to be involved in the primary. He's just going to put somebody there that only wants a, a, to be there on an interim basis. And that sent Barbara Lee, Representative Lee, who's an African-American woman running for Feinstein's seat, into a tizzy. The African-American progressive community in California is already upset at Gavin Newsom for installing a Hispanic man in Kamala Harris's Senate seat after she went to be vice president. So I, I love how they get backed into these these identity politics corners. They they box themselves in. It's just so fun to watch. Have you seen the conspiracy theory that's out there that what Gavin Newsom's going to do is appoint Kamala Harris to go back to the Senate? <laughs> And then he's going to, you know, somehow be picked to be the vice president. And then Biden is going to resign. And here comes Gavin Newsom. Wow. Interim president. That's next level. He's next next that's, one up to run in 2024. That is next level. Alex Jones, Tim Foyle had stuff right there. I'm impressed. That's that's a, that's a, that's that's a next level for sure. Like that's not just Tim Foyle hat. That's like a Tim Foyle hat on top yeah. of a Tim Foyle well, hat. I mean, first right of all, wouldn't Kamala Harris have to agree to go back to being a senator? Or she would just be told? Is that how it would work? And then I think, I don't think you could just install, I think the House has to approve or vote on a vice president or something like that were to were to happen. I don't see that happening either. So. It's just crazy. I, I know. It's, it's fun to talk about. Yeah. The dominoes that uh, are out there on social media. But Diane Feinstein passing away at the age of 90. Great moments in Feinstein, Feinstein history here. <laughs> This is a video that's been making its way around, and I don't know how many years ago it was, but it was in her office, I believe, and a class of students came in to basically talk about how bad the climate was, and climate change is a big issue, and this climate change activist teacher using these kids as pawns, basically, in this video. And listen, I'm no Feinstein fan, but she goes after these kids and lets them know what time it is. Some scientists have said that we have 12 years to turn this around. Well, it's not going to get turned around in 10 years. What we can do Senator, if is this doesn't get turned around in 10 years, you're looking at the faces of the people who are going to be living with you these consequences. The government and is supposed to be for the people and by the people and all You know for what's the interesting about this group? Is I've been doing this for 30 years. I know what I'm doing. You come in here and you say it has to be my way or the highway. I don't respond to that. I've gotten elected. I just ran. I was elected by almost a million vote plurality. And I know what I'm doing. So, you know, maybe people should listen a little bit. 
I'm torn here because at the same time, first of all, the lunatic teacher has indoctrinated those kids into that way of thinking. We've got to do something or we're all going to die in 12 years. I mean, that's that's indoctrination at its finest. And that was a political stunt. Make no bones about it. She told those kids to say that to the senator. Yeah. But at the same time, the senator, no, it's your job to listen to your constituents, no matter how young they might be. But they don't vote. Screw them. That's a good point. That's a very good point. (laughs) I mean, these were little kids. You could hear. Like probably second, third graders right but there. But I feel like that's in general indicative of how our elected officials feel feel about their constituents, about people like you and me. You're right. You're that's, right. That's with that. that's just like like a general feeling. Like I don't care. You know, even though they work for us, we pay their salary, we voted for them. They don't have to listen to us. Oh, that's evident with the way that they govern in this country. All right, let's shift gears a little bit and let's check in. With wheeling, dealing, hair sniffing, kiss stealing, Joe Biden. I got hairy legs. Look, fast, look, kiss it again. Thank you, uh, Dr. Pepper. Thank you, Dr. <laughs> Pepper. We got classic Biden yesterday. You know, this was classic Joe at a speech yesterday. Really? So, chronic liar. Joe Biden once again talks about traveling 17,000 miles with President Xi Jinping, a lie that has repeatedly been debunked, and then he starts yelling. I spent more time with Xi Jinping than any world world leader has. 68 hours alone with just he and I and an interpreter. Traveled 17,000 miles with him here and in China. On the Tibetan Plateau, he turned to me and he asked me, he said, can you define America for me? And I was deadly earnest. I said, yes. In one word, possibilities. We in America believe anything's <laughs> possible if we try it. Anything we do together, we can get done. Whoa. So first of all, that 17,000 miles, 68 hours, that's been debunked multiple times. There's no record anywhere that shows that's remotely true. Climb the Himalayas with Xi Jinping (laughs) all the way to the top. In the same speech, he talked, he slurred about that horrible insurrection that took place on June 6th. From the speech I made at Gettysburg in the inaugural address to the anniversary of June 6th insurrection... I'm sorry, did I catch a June 6th insurrection there, Joe? Just play that again. Got to hear that one more time, Allison? From the speech I made at Gettysburg in the inaugural address to the anniversary of June 6th insurrection. Okay, chalk that one up. I don't even think he said insurrection. I think it was just surrection. <laughs> June 6th surrection. And once again, he butchered the Declaration of Independence. Oh, no. Now, previously, you know, a couple of years ago, We got this beauty. We hold these truths to be self-evident. All men and women created by go. You know the you know the thing. (laughs) You know the thing. So these are the real words of the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This was Joe Biden yesterday. We're founded on idea. The only major nation in the world founded on an idea. An idea. And we are all created equal. Endowed by the image of God. Endowed by our creator to be be able to treat it equally throughout our lives. What? 
I don't think that's what was written. I don't think that's how it goes. <laughs> I, I I think I don't know that seemed to serve him a little bit better than the first clip you played. Well, sure, it's better than you know the thing. Right. If that's the standard, it was better than that. <laughs> that's the bar. That's the bar. That's the low bar. Really. It's not quite you know the thing. Uh, I've got the transcript here. Allison, will you please read <laughs> Joe Biden's transcript as he tries to quote the Declaration of Independence? An idea that we are all created equal, endowed by our in the image of God, endowed by our Creator to be able to be the for treated equal throughout our lives. <laughs> and one more time, Joe Biden. An idea that we are all created equal, endowed by our, in the image of God, endowed by our Creator to be to be able to treat it equal throughout our lives. So what we're going to do here before we go to Matt Bear's traffic, we're going to have two Democrat presidents reciting the Declaration of Independence. We've got John F. Kennedy, we've got Joe Biden. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. And we are all created equal. That they are endowed by their creator. Endowed by the image of God, endowed by our creator. With certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. To be, to be able to treat it equally throughout our lives. <laughs> You know the thing. <laughs> Close enough. Screw it. Ever and Nigel presents. Is. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. Yeah. Is this anything? All right, let's rock and roll. Hey, man, I'm Clay. Is this anything? I'll run some stories by you. You break down all the information, and then you give us the verdict. Is the story anything or not? Dateline, Florida. Three-year-old girl in Florida, lucky to be alive after she shot herself in the hand while being watched by a family member who was preoccupied by watching a football game on his laptop. Uh, not one of these. Here is uh. young Serenity's mother and the sound of what happened from her in-home security camera. I just kept re-watching it. I just kept replaying, replaying it because I'm like, how can this happen? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. The bullet went straight through her finger. Her hand stopped the bullet. Her hand saved her life. I do feel bad for Orlando. I feel bad for him because and it wasn't intentional. He didn't do it intentional. So yes, I understand. But at the end of the day, it was careless. It's not okay. Leaving guns on couches with one in the chamber is not okay. People who have guns, put them away if kids are in the house. Please put them away. Like my baby could have died. When she said Orlando, that was the dude that, that that was his gun that was just sitting there while he was watching the football game. He got arrested. Child neglect. Um, and I, I don't know. This is probably where the gun guy and I would disagree a little bit. Orlando probably doesn't need a gun in the immediate future. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Maybe, you know, five, six year suspension or something. You're not allowed to own a gun if you can't keep it away from a three-year-old. Well, that's I mean, the I thing. Just, like, this moron this, makes us it, it good does. gun owners look bad. It, it really right? does. Because we and all get lumped in the same category. I mean, it's, it's, it's like, you know, moms demand action and all the, you know, Beto and all the gun grabbers, including Jefferson Sharif and Hogsett. They love these stories because, see, this is just proof. We need we need to get rid of the guns and this is further proof that you know kids get shot you know on a daily basis when it's re in reality dumbass loser irresponsible gun owners that don't know what they're doing and 
that guy should go to jail and he should probably lose his ability to own a gun, at least temporarily. We've talked about this before. Good police officers hate bad police officers because they all get lumped in the same category when somebody makes a mistake. Good, responsible gun owners hate morons like this. You leave your weapon out just sitting on the couch. You've got one in the chamber and you're babysitting a young child. What the hell is wrong with you, dude? Moron. Unbelievable. Is this anything? A group in Salt Lake City gave a $10,000 tip to a restaurant owner and their staff. Cool. Here is Alfonso, the owner of the restaurant, and one of the tippers talking about this massive gift. They were about to leave. They said, hey, Alfonso, can you come with your crew? We want to thank you because we have a great time. And they said, of course. He just pulled out of his pocket $10,000 in 100s. Just such a cool experience to be able to give back a little bit. Yeah, you love stories like these. You always like to hear them. And and we talk about, I always like to talk about good service on this show. If I have a good experience at a restaurant or a store, we'll always mention that. I hope I get to the place in my life financially where I can leave a $10,000 tip. But then I started thinking when I think like that, it's like, you don't have to leave $10,000. You get good service. Maybe leave a 25% tip. You know what I mean? You don't have to leave 10 grand. I mean, if you have it, if you want to do it, you want it, sure. But I'm saying I don't don't have ten grand to leave a tip for good service, but extra fifty bucks, sure. I over tip. I think if the service is really, really good, like if they get me everything I need, even if it's not like some super enjoyable experience, if they're quick, if they get me my drinks and they're working hard, I will take care of the staff, whether that's at a bar or a restaurant. Abdul, on the other hand, Rob (laughs) Kendall, on the other hand, eh. (laughs) is this anything? Here's body cam video of a police officer in Arkansas trying to wrangle a chicken that keeps eluding his grasp. (laughs) Police were called because the hen was blocking someone's front door. Yeah, that's a chicken. And if it was a rooster, I ain't touching it. I got bad luck with it. Come on, now get on get. Get on get. Get on get. Come here now. Boy, don't pick me. Got it. I don't care who you are. It's always funny to watch a police officer run after a chicken and try to catch it. But who are these people that are calling 911 because they can't get out their front door because a chicken is uh, blocking it? Right. Can you just open the door and, like, kick it? Right. Open the door really hard and knock the hell out of it? I'm not saying abuse it or anything, but just kind of shoo it away with your foot. Great moment in shooing away chickens. (laughs) Go on, get. Coming soon to the Hammer and Nigel show. Show. Hammer's over there. My name's Nigel. We'll go to the WIBC hotline and bring on Mike Braun, junior senator from Indiana. Also happens to be a member of the uh, budget committee. Also happens to be leaving his Senate seat to run for governor of Indiana. Mr. Braun, I want to get to your opinion in the Hill um, that was just, I think that just hit yesterday. Kind of sounds like you are <laughs> bl- blaming both sides here. Like both sides kind of like it when these threats of the government shut down happen but what right off the bat what's your gut feeling the shutdown discussions ongoing deadline is is tomorrow at midnight where do you think we're at here well it's it's one of those times like i was in the studio last with you guys we need to be cracking a six-pack to oh. get through it so <laughs> already done <laughs> <laughs> it is something that uh, this is the fifth time i've gone through it and if you Jeez. think back 
I was actually in the uh, throes of a shutdown right after I got elected. It was like three or four weeks into January of uh, 19. It is such a broken system with no budgeting, no framework around it. I really do believe the people that have been running the show, the career politicians for decades, like the threat of a government shutdown. That's how they get all this borrowing and spending at rates 5 to 10 percent above what they would be the year before. When I was in our state legislature for three years, we did in three and a half months a biennium budget that interviewed all the agencies, all the stakeholders, always did it living within our means. None of that here. And it's now uh, accumulated to $33 trillion in debt. Uh, we were borrowing about a trillion a year back in 18. It's now a trillion dollars every six months. It's shameful. And uh, nobody here seems to think it's that big a deal. And in fact, just like my article read, I think it plays into how they want to grow government. Democrats unapologetic. I've said it before, it's their growth business and their cathedral wrapped into one. Republicans, the neocons, the ones that won't budge an inch on defense, make the deal with them. And every year, that's now what was a trillion dollars a year. It's up to two trillion. Something's got to give. Senator Jason Hammer here. And you bring up a great point about these Republicans, the neocons, as you call them. I believe it was a conversation you you had with Tucker Carlson, I think it was early this year, where you stated there's like 10 to 15 Republicans that every time team up with the Democrats to give us this budget mess. Is that still the case? It is. And I've termed it the unholy alliance because... Do you think the Democrats, who believe in more government, are ever going to shrink their side of it if we won't touch what's most dear to us? And believe me, they waste – it's the most important thing we do as a federal government. It's the only thing we have to do is defend our country. And we need to do it well, but they ought to do budgets. They ought to do audits. They recently hardly got any press. I think it was six to eight months ago did a – it's called a balance sheet audit. I couldn't believe the amount. It was $3.5 trillion that they were supposed to have. They could only find 39% of what they own as a Defense Department. That is waste at its worst. They've got a lot of room to improve, and until we put that on the table, the Democrats will never give up what they want, and that's how we do this same crazy thing year after year. And you know what? It's not like you haven't been trying to do something about this. Tell us about—I mean, there's been multiple uh, bipartisan— uh, pieces of legislation, bills that you wrote, the the, the no budget, no pay act uh, with Rick Scott and Joe Manchin, um, which basically said, you know, we don't get a paycheck until we start, you know, spending. We come up with a spending bill. None of these uh, pieces of legislation have seen the light of day, have they? No, and uh, Ron Johnson, the senator from Wisconsin, and I, and several others, want a no-government shutdown bill, which you, you would think that would be the thing everyone would want. Leadership will not bring that to the floor. That was the point of my article with The Hill, because I think this whole system of doing no budgets— 
using a shutdown as a threat is how they lever their way into this nonsense of borrowing and spending. The other thing we need is a term limits bill and a balanced budget statute or amendment. That's the only way you get the career politicians out of the game that have been running this place into the ditch for a long time. And what's been the response when you bring up term limits? It'd be a classic case of amnesia. Everyone campaigns on it. They get here and forget about it. You know, I, I have a feeling, Senator, this is I, I remember you announcing you announcing that you were leaving um, your seat to run for governor of Indiana. And one of the reasons was that you felt like, I mean, this is you realized in your six years that this is a swamp and there's very little I can do to change it. Is this is this kind of one of the reasons you're leaving um, your seat to the Senate and, and, and going to try to get some stuff done here in, in Indiana? Well, it is kind of like talking to the side of my barn back home, uh, really. <laughs> and, uh, I, you know, if I had to do it all over again, I'd do it. Uh, somebody has got to get to where you quit complaining about it and you come out here and try to do something about it. I think Trump kind of personified half the country, teed off with business as usual. That's how he got here. What It's such a hard, unwieldy place because of the vested interests. Everybody comes with their big hat in hand, wants more from it. The American public's going to have to say, we can't be part of a system that borrows 30 cents on every dollar. And I wasn't going to do this more than two terms. I would never have reneged on the belief in term limits. I practice what I preach. Coming back to a state, uh, we are in decent shape cash flow-wise. I've seen a few things that look like we teeter a little bit when it comes to uh, how heavy our own government wants to be. I never imagined our own state government would say, you're an essential business, you're not. Yeah. Uh, some of that stuff we did through COVID. I was the freshman Senate office that had to dust off a Congressional Review Act to get rid of that crazy idea of forcing a vaccine on all employees down to employers of 100 employees. Those kinds of things, I don't know that we'll ever get away for, until this place hits the ditch hard and it's forced to change. I want to make sure we don't get anywhere close to that and keep faith, uh, family, community, freedom at the forefront in our own state. That's why I decided to come back. And I'm an entrepreneur, business owner. We need one of them as the CEO of our uh, state government, in my belief. Senator Mike Braun joining us here on the Hammer and Nigel Show. So, Senator, what do you think happens Saturday at midnight? What's the latest with what's going on? This is mostly going to be a function of what can be done in the House. Uh, just today, they floated a proposal, and it was many, many votes short of uh, passing. I can guarantee you, whatever a Chuck Schumer Senate bill uh, gets passed here is not going to be palatable over in the House, and it shouldn't be, because that would be that unholy alliance I've been referring to. So at some point, uh, even though McCarthy has very little political capital to play with, I think his political life depends upon it, he's going to have to find out how he keeps the fiscal conservatives that have been right for a long time on what we need to do to where we get some reform measures as part of a spending bill. That's all we're asking. Pass 
pass a no government shutdown bill so at least you don't shut the government down you don't give the a tool to the borrowers and spenders a no budget no paycheck bill and some rigor into a budgeting process and if we don't get it we're just kicking the can down to where we go deeper in the hole our kids and grandkids are even further in debt senator we got about 30 seconds left are you, your colleagues, maybe the members in the House, are you guys ready to ride this thing out for a long time if that's what it takes? Well, I wish the first thing we do is get that bill of not shutting the government down because I put this on the backs of the people that have been here for a long time that have profited from it. Sooner or later, though, essential workers get paid even through this to some extent. Uh, the pain would only be short term. We need major comprehensive reform. And if we do the same thing we've done in the past, don't expect that to happen. Sooner or later, you got to take the make the hard decision and write it out. Indiana Senator Mike Braun. Senator, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it. You bet. It's the Hammer and Nigel Show. My name is Nigel. It's Jason Hammer over there. How are you feeling about that Colts game this weekend, man? I'm excited for it, man. Colts are on a two-game win streak and first place in the division home game, which means there's a big tailgate on Georgia Street. Cool. I think WIBC is going to have some things going on with our sister stations. And good news for the Colts, Anthony Richardson. He's all through the concussion protocol. He will start on Sunday against the Rams. Bad news, though, is Ryan Kelly, the starting center, still out. Okay, but Anthony Richardson, you're telling me. Yes, all he is good to go. That is, as Ron Burgundy once said, that is good news. <laughs> I actually have a pick on the Colts and Rams game. If you go to the article that we've got posted at WIBC.com, it's also on the Hammer and Nigel Facebook and Twitter right now. I've got five gambling picks for the weekend, okay. and my friend Scott Long has five picks, and two professionals that are really good, local professional gamblers, David Stefanoff of followneverfade.com, and the Cashman, Alan Cashman of thecashmanwins.com. They've got free picks for you, too. Now, not to toot my own horn, Nige, I'm 3-1 and one yeah, you're doing on my good. best bets since we've started this little video series. 2-1-1 one and one on the Degenerate Special since week one of college football. In the last two weeks, 6-2-1 and one on college football. Not bad. So, we're not doing too bad. Uh, my pal Scott Long, 4-0-1 oh last week. So, again, check out the article. It's on our social media, at WIBC.com. Free gambling picks. Again, I'm not a pro. I'm just a guy that watches a lot of college football. So, with that being said, let's get the Degenerate Special. It's time for Hammer's Degenerate Special. So, this is a game that nobody probably cares about, but the money you can win on this game, this Degenerate Football game, spins the same as if you win money on that big Notre Dame at Duke game this weekend. <laughs> we are talking about the Coastal Carolina Chanticleers at 
the Georgia Southern Eagles. The Eagles are so much better than the Eagles. And this is the whole point of the degenerate special is that nobody's paying attention to this game. But right. lots of money. You're right. right. It's from money spins the same. If you bet this game, you are a degenerate. <laughs> and I'm a degenerate. So I study, I do the homework, and I pass that on to you. Now, the over-under is set at 66 total points for this game. Georgia Southern, they're coming off a depancing of Ball State last week where they beat the Cardinals 40-3. to Both teams rank in the top 30 in passing yards. They're also effective at defending the pass. They've got good pass defense, okay? So that's why this game is going to be really interesting. They know each other. They play similar styles. Here are some notes. Just one of the Georgia Southern Eagles' last four games have gone over 66 points. The Coastal Carolina Chanticleers combined with their opponents to score more than 66 points in just four of their last 13 games. What you do in your homework? Georgia Southern averages only 3.8 points per scoring opportunity. That's 72nd in college football. So, they move the ball, but they struggle in the red zone. And although Coastal has given up some yards on the ground and they struggle to stop the run, they're only giving up 2 points per scoring opportunity. That's eighth in the nation. So Georgia Southern, they allowed a passer rating of just 91.5 in the red zone. That's third best in college football. The under has cashed in four of the Chanticleers last six games against teams in the Sun Belt. The under has cashed in four of the Eagles last five games in the Sun Belt. So when the rent is too damn high, rent, it's too Damn high. When the number is too damn high. Too damn high. Snoop Dogg, what do we do? Drop it like it's hot. Drop it like it's hot. <laughs> we drop it like it's hot. Allison, cue up the band. Oh, there it is. The devil went down to Georgia Southern. He was looking for an under to steal. Under 66. Coastal Carolina, Georgia Southern. That is this week's Degenerate Special. The devil went down to Georgia. Hammer and Nigel. You believe these characters are weirdos? So let's rock it! My name is Nigel. Jason Hammer right over there with a special guest on the WIBC hotline. Little town hall last night with the mayor candidates, Jefferson Shreve, Boss Hogsett, and once again, the question of Hogsett's whereabouts during the 2020 riots have been brought forward. I'm glad somebody's finally actually talking about it besides us. A concerned citizen, friend of our show, is Robert Evans III. Robert, how are you? I'm great, guys. How are you? Nice to talk to you again. Yeah, so you joined us a couple months back, Robert, and you were like a lot of people, wondering where was Joe Hogsett when the riots went down. And you started looking into things. You looked into phone number records. You looked into emails. Let's reset before we move forward what you were looking for and what did you find about a couple months ago. Yeah, sure. So um, I've I've been filing requests with the mayor's office for right about two years now. Really, just a general one at first, just just kind of asking, you know, what his what his statements were, what his actions are, trying to trying to get an idea of his whereabouts and the things that he actually did there. And really, nothing came of that other than uh, through another request, this this assertion that the mayor doesn't use his a public email address. 
so then a few months back, I, I refiled another one and um, really kind of digging into the situation a little bit more, um, asking more about his, his senior staff, right? Because the mayor leans a lot on the actions of his office and his statements about this, not so much the things that he did. So I submitted a request to his office for um, calendar invites, dates, emails, and I expanded it as far as phone records, both private and public phone records on there. So we got a little held up a couple after the last time I talked to you guys, we got a little held up because they pushed back and said that they needed more specificity. And they did this weird thing where they they sent me a request saying I needed to answer all these questions within five days or they were going to cancel my request. But they sent the request on a Friday night, right? So, <laughs> you know, they're giving me basically Saturday and Sunday in, in a couple of days to speak to attorneys and, and get these things together. So I ended up filing a records. I ended up filing a complaint with the state records office and got an opinion back from them last week where. You know, I'll consider that a draw, really, because they said that when looking for specificity, I actually expanded the request past the original request. But they also did make it clear to the mayor's office that, you know, they were responsible to give me personal emails if they had those available and make and make a good faith effort to give me that information. Right. So the mayor's office, Robert, is trying to give you the runaround at this point. They know you're snooping around and they're trying to give you the runaround. And all you're asking for is emails or phone numbers that should be public record for somebody that's leading a city wondering where he was at during the riots. Right. And, I, you know, I have the mayor's personal email addresses. And I, I haven't published those in any place, but I, I supplied those to the records request so they can search through those. But, you know, most, most importantly, it's really, I think, more about the senior staff, his, his former chief of staff and some of the deputy mayors there. So this week I got back um, one email from them that shows that the only email that it seems like the mayor sent out during the period I was asking for or specifically his office sent out was – an email from his former chief of staff, Thomas Cook, that says, talks to the mayor's cabinet and his staff saying, hey, these are, you know, this is a statement we're putting out about the riots. And also I got back a list of phone records. Now these are the phone records. These are the official uh, Indigo, Indigo phone records on here. So if you, if you break down, there's really interesting because, you know, I don't see anything that stands out to me that, these are, you know, working with public safety. These are not other people that should be involved in this. You know, most importantly, I don't see that the mayor himself actually made any phone calls on there. Right. And I'm looking at this list, which you have provided to me to look at here. And we're talking about from May 26th of the year of the riots to June 1st. So basically that time period of May 26th to June 1st, that is when, you know, things started amping up with the George Floyd protests across the country and then ultimately the Indian riots, and at no point in this log provided by uh, the office of the mayor do I see Joe Hogsett's number. 
Correct. Yeah, there's it doesn't it shows that the mayor didn't send anything out. Now there's a couple there's a couple of calls in there from his personal his executive assistant. But you know, the bigger question for me is it really shouldn't be this hard. And, you know, if, if there's just a feeling that the city's kind of operating um, kind of on their own behind the scenes in ways that, you know, the public can't really make them accountable for. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty good at this. And, and so if, if it's taking me this much work to get just these basic phone numbers and still not finding anything, I just really wonder, you know, how the average citizen would be able to just go out and get this information as the law requires. Hey, Robert, and, and Hammer, you can answer this, too. What what has been the official explanation as to where Joe Hogsett was uh, during the nights of the riots? Well, Robert, let me jump in here, because we've played the audio on this show a number of years ago. I think this was two years ago. Joe Hogsett sat down with a reporter from Wish TV, Alexis Rogers. She asked him, hey... You know where were you during the riots? And he said he was at home supervising things. That was a couple of years ago. And as far as I know, Robert, that's the only time he's given a legit answer. Sure. So was was the entire staff hanging out at his house? Was he supervising from his front porch? You know what? You know I. I might, again, my suspicion is that most of this is happening over personal emails and cell phones. So I think that we're we're very close to the point where we're going to be able to um, open a more formal complaint and subpoena those personal phones and email records. Because the mayor is making statements, you know, I saw what he gave to Adam Wren the other day or yesterday, and he's, he's mentioning that they put out all these statements and all these events but they're not giving me anything back formally at this point that shows those things happen. Now, I want to throw one caveat in here. They have said that they will, based on the complaint that I filed with the state, they will use the search criteria that, that I've offered before. So we may get more out of there, but my suspicion is that if, if they had that information already, they would have given it. And you mentioned that statement that he gave to Adam Wren yesterday, because there was this basically town hall that Shreve and Hogsett were at yesterday, and um, reporter asked one of the lackeys for Joe Hogsett, hey, there's a lot of people saying there's a question about your whereabouts. Well, and, and Sharif has that on his attack ad as well. Where were you during the night? Right. The night of the riots. And the Hogsett associate basically says, everybody needs to stop listening to shock jock radio, which is kind of a <laughs> shot you know, at us here. But Robert, to me, the bigger issue is, and I think you have found this firsthand, the mayor of a major city, a city that has hosted the Super Bowl, Final Fours on the regular, major conventions left and right, there's no paper trail of what the mayor does. If he's using his cell phone and personal email, as opposed to the government-issued one, where's the paper trail, and how do you hold this guy accountable? And that's true. And you know, I'm I'm friendly with a few people in the state legislature, and you know, I guess it's come up uh, amongst them a little bit this inquiry that I've been doing. That I, I think the state legislature is going to kind of address a little bit of this because there's always been a question about strengthening APRA around that, and we really have no way to find if basic information if everyone is working in personal and personal emails and cell phones. So that that just shouldn't happen. I'm reading this thing that we've 
mentioned from yesterday where the Hogsett lackey was talking to a, a reporter, quote, Mayor Hogsett understood that reasonable questions would be raised by the violence that swept major cities in 2020, which is why almost immediately after the events of that summer, he commissioned an independent investigation and report into the activities of city staff and law enforcement partners. So if I'm to believe this statement that was given to a reporter yesterday that some sort of investigation and commission was launched, but yet there's no paper trail, there's no email, there's no phone call of this happening, I find a lot of this hard to believe. Well, you know, what's really interesting is, is I actually agree with the mayor on this point. I think everyone should read that report. I actually reread it this morning. I think it's 46 pages and, and you know, and get, getting ready for this call. And you can just pull up the PDF and just do a basic find, keyword find. The mayor's name only appears in that report maybe twice. The only person from the mayor's office whose name shows up consistently is former Deputy Mayor David Hampton, who we know is the only person, or we believe is the only person from his administration that was on the streets that day negotiating with IMPD and the rioters. So, yeah, if the mayor wants to lean on this report and say, we did these things great, you know, show me where in the report it clears them because it doesn't speak to them. The report only speaks to the actions of IMPD. And this just raises up so many more questions. I mean, we could sit here and talk about this for an hour, but okay, so the mayor says it's okay for David Hampton to be out on the streets telling IMPD whatever, whether that's stand down or give the rioters room or whatever. So Hogsett's fine with Hampton being out there, but his excuse was he was at home watching it, which, by the way, goes completely against what an investigative reporter has found out about his whereabouts. Yeah, I've heard about that. Um, I'm friendly with that investigative reporter, and I'm really interested to hear more about that. But, you know, what, what, what a lot of people need to understand about the deputy mayors is, yes, the mayor can, can give directions to to someone, but why would the mayor tell Hampton to do that versus him doing it himself? Right. What was he? What, what, what was he trying to use Hampton to protect himself from? If, if Hampton took these actions on his own, it's not clear that Hampton had the authority to do so because the deputy mayor's roles and authorities are very, very limited. They're certified by the city county council. I mean, we might as well have had like the head of uh, DPW or or the, the head trash collector <laughs> out there, right? Giving IMPD. Giving IMPD orders, if that's the case, you know. And when it's the darkest hour of the city, and some would say the riots were the absolute darkest 24, 36 hour period in the storied history in the city of Indianapolis, why wouldn't the mayor want to be the one that's in charge that's calling the shots here? You don't see the Super Bowl going down to the two minute warning and a tie game, and all of a sudden the head coach go, you know what, I'm going to let the offensive coordinator drive the boat here moving forward. <laughs> Well, the big question for me is if the mayor is proud of the actions of, of himself and of his office, why wouldn't he publicize those? Why wouldn't he just put this question to bed? And this is a mayor that loves some publicity. He will take a photo at a funeral, but yet no photos, no information, no paper trail anywhere about the riots of 2020. Uh, Robert, great job, my friend. Keep digging. And uh, whenever you get some information, you know where we're at. Uh, great, guys. Thanks a lot. Are you okay? Are you okay? Everything's gonna be okay. Are you okay? Are you okay? Yeah.
I'm fine. I'm pretty f***ing far from okay. Whoa! Are you okay with this? On the Hammer and Nigel show. Oh, yeah! Dude, Hammer, they arrested a guy for the shooting of Tupac. Las, wow. Las Vegas police have arrested a man, Dwayne Keith Davis. Uh, they were searching his house in July, part of this ongoing investigation that's lasted for years into the shooting death. He has been taken into custody. Are you okay with this? Yes, I'm okay with this. Great job by the Las Vegas police. If this is the guy, let's hope this is the guy. Now, there had been chatter for a while that there was a suspect. And like you said, they searched his home back in July. And I don't know what they found because Tupac was shot back in 1996. (laughs) So this happened during my senior year of high school. And a lot of people thought this was a cold case. You were never going to find the shooter. But lo and behold, they made an arrest today. Now, every time I go to Vegas, um, you know, I drive around a little bit. I'll walk around a little bit. The location, the exact location where Tupac's car was shot up, Suge Knight was driving, Tupac was in the passenger seat, was on the corner of Covalt and Flamingo. People write like messages still really? on that corner's like street sign and on the sidewalk and stuff. So this was a big deal. And I want Dallas Cowboy fans to understand what's going on here, okay? <laughs> Dallas Cowboy fans. Okay. The last NFC championship game <laughs> the Cowboys played in was in 1995. <laughs> Since then, Tupac was shot, killed, the case went cold, they opened it, and they found it before the <laughs> Dallas Cowboys have made it back to the <laughs> NFC championship game. Wonderful. An Englishman says that he is terrified of eating food with his hands and must eat everything with Metal tongs, even soup. Here is John. <laughs> Guy's name is John Jr. Says his uh, it's life or death on how OCD uh, affects him. So I have to eat with metal tongs, otherwise I'll die. And I have intrusive thoughts, which is a symptom of obsessive compulsive disorder. I'm having soup for breakfast because I'm having intrusive thoughts telling me that I have to have soup for breakfast, otherwise I'm going to die. Including eating my breakfast with my baby metal tongs, otherwise I. <laughs> I'm going to die. He was saying his intrusive thoughts and his OCD are telling him he's going to die unless he uses metal tongs to eat his soup. Are you okay with this? No, because I think this is bogus. I think this is fake. I'm so jaded with these things that go viral on social media right now. True. I think he's just doing this for clicks. Because if he were really that terrified, if he thought he was going to die, if he ate soup with a spoon, (laughs) would he be making videos about it? I don't think that he would. I think he'd be trying to get help. I would hope he's getting therapy, but instead he's telling me that he's eating soup with metal tongs. I'm sorry. I think this whole thing stinks. I think this is bogus. Not okay with this. Kelly Clarkson had to run off stage. Ah, Kelly Clarkson! At one of her recent concerts when she believed she was showing a little too much boob. Oh, listen to this. Are you okay with Kelly Clarkson stopping the concert to put her boob back in her shirt? 
Yeah, it's her concert. She can do whatever she wants. If she wants to show boob, I'm fine. If she wants to cover up <laughs> boob, it's fine. Um, I've always liked Kelly Clarkson. She seems like a down-to-earth, yeah. kind of wholesome chick. Like I feel like I could sit down, have some beers, watch a football game with Kelly Clarkson. Plus, I like the fact that she comes to Indy quite a bit. They've had her doing the national anthem at the Indy 500 a number of times. And look, she can sing. So, yeah, I'm fine with this. Uh, speaking of people that could sing, Lady Gaga posted some behind-the-scenes footage of her recording a song with the Rolling Stones. It's called The Sweet Sound of Heaven. Kevin, we want a little taste of it here. Pretty good, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I'm okay with yeah, this. Stone's got a new album coming out in October. This is, this is pretty killer. She's got some pipes, man. Oh, she can yeah. sing, there's no doubt. Like, I know she's a complete radical lunatic. She's a left-wing nut. But if you just focus on the talent, she's got an amazing voice. Like, that album she did with Tony Bennett, like that crooner oh, yeah. album, I love that kind of stuff, man. She sounded phenomenal on it. So, hell yeah, I'm all right with that. My name is Nigel. Jason Hammer right over there. The ratings are in for the uh, GOP debates. It was the most watched program on cable TV Wednesday night, although viewership down about 25% from the first one, Hammer. And uh, the Breitbart senior editor-at-large was at the Reagan Library with a front-row seat, Joel Pollock. I'm very sorry you had to sit through that. Um, <laughs> welcome, welcome back to the Hammer and Nigel Show. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm still trying to figure out how to get those eight hours of my life back. <laughs> and we don't have to sit and talk about this the, the entire conversation. I do want to ask you about you know mixing it up with Gavin Newsom there in the spin room after those debates. But just your overall unique perspective. You were there covering these debates. What was that that the American people witnessed on Wednesday? Well, it was a waste of time, not only because Trump wasn't there, but because none of the candidates put forward any kind of vision. It wasn't really a substantive discussion of what Republicans are offering the American people. At times, it was completely unwatchable. I sat there unable to follow the conversation because they were talking over each other so much. Normally during these debates, I'm turning out articles, I'm writing up fact checks of things that various candidates have said or claims that the moderators have made. I didn't write a single fact check during this debate because I just couldn't hear any factual claims. I couldn't hear any coherent ideas. There were some prepared one-liners and things like that, but it really was a mess. The one thing I'll give credit to Fox Business for doing is raising the issue of inflation and raising the issue of the border early in the debate. That didn't happen in the first debate. The border didn't get mentioned until well into the second hour of the debate in Milwaukee. But they didn't really take things in any meaningful direction, and many of the questions came out of left field. This right. was a debate that could have been staged by CNN. So I think there was a huge opportunity lost. And the highlight for me, as you mentioned, was confronting Gavin Newsom <laughs> in the spin room. 
Well, you know, he's a California governor, and he came not just as a Joe Biden surrogate, but he came to troll the Republican candidates. He is a very, very good troll, but he has a very poor record here in California. So I wanted to get a chance to ask him about that and specifically about the issue that he's somehow chosen to risk his political career on, which is denying parents the right to be notified when their children tell people at school that they want to change genders. You have to get a permission slip to do just about anything if you're a kid in a school in California. But somehow if you decide to change your gender and possibly take drugs or go through surgery, mom and dad, they can't know. So, Joel, let's talk about Gavin Newsom, because I watched the debate and I'm watching the post coverage on Fox. And there's Gavin Newsom up there playing grab ass with Sean Hannity. And they're laughing. They're joking. They're talking a little policy. But it's almost like Gavin Newsom has been accepted by some members of conservative media. How did this guy, who has done what I think is a horrible job in his state, become such a media darling to the point to where he's up there hobnobbing with Sean Hannity? Well, I don't know that he's been accepted as such by conservative media. I think conservative media want to interview him and challenge him, and I give him credit, actually, for going on Fox News. He wasn't too happy to see me in the spin room, but he's (laughs) gone on Hannity several times. And Sean Hannity has taken what you might call a long bet on Gavin Newsom. He thinks that Gavin Newsom is going to be the Democratic Party nominee for president. And he has brought Gavin Newsom on his show as a foil to Joe Biden. He wants to show his audience and remind his audience that Joe Biden is 80 years old and that Democrats are sticking with a president who doesn't seem to be entirely possessed of all his faculties when they do actually have younger potential candidates who are out there who have, for whatever reason, been shunted aside. And Gavin Newsom leads the biggest state by population in the union, so he would be an obvious choice, at least among others, to look at. And so he uses Newsom to bash Biden. Newsom goes on Fox to challenge Sean Hannity, and he does pretty well because the narrative on Fox is within its own bubble, just like CNN has a bubble and MSNBC has a bubble. So Newsom gets on there and he starts mixing it up with Sean Hannity. And I think it's good training for him because I do think he is going to run for president one day, if not in 2024, then certainly in 2028. And I think he benefits from it probably on balance more than Fox News does. Newsom is very, very good. But the problem is he has a terrible record. So when you come to a conservative reporter from California like me, where I know what's going on here with Newsom and what he has done and hasn't done, and really there's a lot he hasn't done, he doesn't know where to go. So if you look at the tape of me asking him about the transgender issue and parental notification, I just said to him, why don't parents have the right to know? Yeah, and he totally deflects. Yeah, he says, well, climate change. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks. Appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. No, he, he didn't have an answer because there is no answer. But, but his administration is suing school districts who adopt parental notification policies. By the way, even in deep blue left California, 84% of California voters, according to one recent poll, believe that parents should be notified if their kids are thinking of changing genders. That's 84% of California, liberal, deep blue California. And Newsom is adopting a policy against that 84%. So he knows he's in a tight spot, but he's got these radical LGBTQ activists who are pushing the agenda. 
And that's going to become a problem for him if he tries to mount a national campaign. Well, didn't he just veto some bill having to do with taking kids away from parents that don't affirm their kids' identity? It's a perfect example of a game he plays. Yeah. So there was a bill in the California legislature that would have directed courts to consider in custody battles whether a parent had affirmed a child's chosen gender identity or not. And if divorcing mom or divorcing dad insisted that the child who was born a boy must remain a boy, then maybe they would give the kid to the other parent. Now, that is pretty scary. And in fact, there was a Republican who was commenting on this bill when it passed the committee who said, parents need to get out of California now. A lot of people were scared of this bill. And Newsom vetoed it, even though it passed both houses where Democrats have a supermajority. He vetoed it, and he got some credit from conservatives for yeah. doing so. But you got to read his statement. He put out a statement explaining to the yeah. LGBTQ community why he had vetoed this bill that they wanted. And he said, well, we don't need this bill because existing law in California already yeah. allows the judges to do it. <laughs> so he wasn't actually disagreeing that courts should do this. He just said, well, I don't want the legislature telling courts what to do, which was sort of a cop-out. But then he just said, hey, you can do this anyway. There's nothing to stop the courts from doing this. I'm not opposed to it. So so he tells conservatives one thing, and he tells people on the left something else, and he's a very skillful politician. But ask about electricity shortages, yeah. ask about water shortages, ask about wildfires, homelessness, crime, budget deficits. He has no answer. And this is this is all important stuff to us here in the Midwest because we could be looking at a guy that could, could be possibly running the country before too long. And you know what else, Joe Pollack, is going to be more expensive in California? Get ready. I just saw the uh, article you wrote about how Newsom signed a law requiring fast food restaurants to pay $20 an hour. That's going to be one expensive Big Mac. <laughs> well... The average hourly wage for fast food workers in California is already over $16 an hour. Now he's raising it to 20 and some people say that's not high enough because $20 an hour is not a minimum uh, living wage, as they call it, in California. It's not, it's not enough to afford the cost of living here. But of course, most people who work in fast food restaurants have families with multiple incomes, a lot of teenagers, people who aren't necessarily relying on their fast food salary for all of their household expenses. Be that as it may, Newsom did this as part of an effort by Democrats to control the fast food industry. They threatened the fast food industry to set up this special industrial council that would essentially dictate terms on how fast food companies could operate, how franchisees could operate. The fast food industry then was going to pour $120 million into a referendum opposing this policy. And wow. eventually, they, they climbed down. And this $20 minimum wage was kind of a compromise, although the fast food companies were negotiating with a gun to their heads. But all that's going to happen is we're going to see more computers and robots oh, yeah. at fast food restaurants. I mean, I've been to fast food restaurants where you just order from a screen. Yeah. There are a few employees moving the burgers around, but 
that's what you're going to see. So there are 500,000 workers, apparently, in the fast food industry in California. And the media is describing this as a great sigh of relief for these workers. And it probably will be for some because we have high inflation and so forth. But a lot of those workers are going to find out in a few months that they've lost their jobs because when you make it more expensive to hire people, companies look for machines. Hey, Joel, real quick, just before we let you go, um, we got about 30, 40 seconds left. What's what's Newsom going to do about replacing Diane Feinstein? Well, he's got a number of options. There are some candidates that he's hinted at before. He promised to nominate a black woman, yep. much like Joe Biden promised to nominate a black woman to the Supreme Court. Newsom has promised to nominate a black woman. We, we currently have two black female mayors of our two biggest cities. We've got Karen Bass here in Los Angeles and London Breed up in San Francisco. I'm sure they would be delighted to have a safe Senate seat and escape the challenge of dealing with homelessness and crime on the streets of San Francisco and L.A. But there are others as well. There's uh, Adam Schiff. He's a nice. He's a nice looking black woman. Uh, you know. Hey Joel, uh, man, Barbara we gotta Lee. we gotta cut yeah. it right there, man. You're you're one of the best, uh, one of our favorite guests. Uh, find his work, Breitbart.com. That's Breitbart senior editor at large, Joel Pollock. Have a great weekend in California, Joel. We'll talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Right now, Kramer and Nigel present oh, 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 oh. Uh, beer sample. Fry. Beer! I got some beers. Let's drink them, huh? Beers on sale, people. Come down, get you get some. Get you some. Brought to you by Thompson Furniture and Mattress in Columbus. I'm Nigel, and it looks like Hammer has provided the libations over here for Beer Sample Friday. So, with the Colts on a bit of a two-game winning streak, I thought the name of this beer is something Colt fans could rally behind here, Nigel. Let's see here. Rising Hope. That's oh. what we got. <laughs> okay, I got it. We're on a two-game heater. This is from. This is so you're connecting this with the Colts and uh, you know a possible win. Rising hope, baby. That's what we now, got right cool now. The cool thing about this beer, I was just reading about. This is Triton Central Brewing over there on East 56th Street, uh, Fort Ben area. This proceeds from this particular beer go to. Uh, uh, Triton Brewing Company, not Triton Central. The high school. What I say? Triton. The high school is Triton. not putting this line of beer out. <laughs> Triton Brewing over there in East 56th Street, but proceeds from this beer uh, go to actually uh, fund cancer research, pediatric uh, pediatric cancer research. So even better, man. You sold me. There we go. Let's kickstart the weekend, baby. Cheers, Indianapolis. I see Triton Central. <laughs> Now, Triton Brewing is also one of my favorite uh, IPA, local IPAs, uh, Rail Splitter. But, man, that's good. This if you're a senior at Triton Central, <laughs> your assignment this year is to come up with a beer oh, that's man. good enough to be featured on Beer Sample Friday. Not only is that good beer, but it's going for a good cause. Good yes. choice, Hammer. Very good choice. And, again, thank you to Thompson Furniture and Mattress in Columbus for sponsoring Beer Sample Friday.